they did a survey, I think it was a Barna survey, if I remember correctly, where they asked young people in the city and young people in the country the very same question. It was really a true and false statement. Do you agree with this? And the question was basically this, or the statement was basically this. Do you agree with this statement? If what I believe offends somebody else, then what I believe is wrong. True or false? Welcome to the Adventure Podcast, a platform designed to inspire young mission-minded entrepreneurs to start businesses and ministries of their own. Throughout these episodes, we will be hearing the stories of Adventist professionals and leaders who have thrived in their spheres by putting God first. Welcome to this episode of Adventure Podcast, where we hear inspiring stories of young entrepreneurs who have started ministries and businesses of their own. I'm Dylan Flannery Valadez, and this week we are joined by Chad Cruiser. Chad Cruiser has been an evangelist for many years and has traveled the U.S. sharing exciting research about the gospel, prophecy, the brain, overcoming temptation, and living in the country. Uh, His YouTube channel, Health and Homestead, has a ton of great information about moving to the country and living a more self-sustaining life. Chad, thank you so much for calling in today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, so Chad, um, could you tell us a little bit, for those that don't know, uh, about your background and how you got to where you are today? Sure. Um, Well, I grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, grew up in the city, and uh, my spiritual life was changed. I grew up in a Christian family, but I I ended up going to a Bible seminar uh, when I was in college, and it was a Bible prophecy seminar, and it changed my life, changed the direction of my life, the future plans, and ended up doing ministry, but then the ministry turned into doing documentary films on archaeology, history, the Bible, health, and various subjects. And so that became a, a you could call it a tent-making work that I could do to both make a living and, you know, share the gospel, tra- travel the world. And on top of that, then over time, we, after traveling for probably 17 years, wow. we ended up buying some country property. We, I, Since I was a child, I loved nature, even though I grew up in the city and always wanted to live in the country. My grandparents had a cottage in the country and I, it was, it was on a river and I always thought, man, why do people uh, have places like this in the country but then drive back home to the city? I thought, man, why not just live in the country? And so since a child, I've always kind of wanted to live out in nature. And uh, three years back, the Lord opened the door to buy some raw land and we ended up, you know, spending months sleeping in a tent felling trees and then finally had a house built and yeah here we are now wow so where where is the the place that you decided to buy it is in michigan it's about halfway up michigan it's out next to the national forest oh and one of the reasons i I have family in michigan so i want to be close to them and secondarily the land was cheap so that was (laughs) uh you know there's more beautiful places in the country but uh, it's just cheap. So that was a family <laughs> and the inexpensive land was, were two big factors. For okay. Me. So I, uh, I'm not, I'm not from Michigan or anything, but is that, is that what they would consider upper peninsula? It, oh, I'm not from Michigan, but is that what they can, they this call is not, upper so this is not, so, so here, here's like standard lower peninsula. And then you have up above it, you have the upper peninsula. It looks like this. So, oh, okay. and we are like halfway up the lower peninsula. Oh, I see. But it's still kind of yeah. snowy there and everything, right? 
pretty cold. It is actually, we have snow. We, we didn't have snow. It's been, it was like 60 some, like a day or two ago. And now we have snow on the ground right now. I mean, hardly any, but it snowed again last night. So yeah, we get, we get, we get plenty of snow here. Huh. Yeah. So that was one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you so bad is because I think that Adventists in the future are going to have to come up with ways to live and make a living, start a business outside of the cities. Could you give us some, you've done a lot. So I've seen your YouTube channel. That's where I originally got the idea for calling you is your YouTube channel, Health and Homestead has a lot of ideas for Adventists and people in general to get out of the cities and start making a living outside of the city and outside of traditional uh, ways. Could you, could you give us some like background, maybe biblically or um, just some ideas why you think people are fleeing the cities these days? Why people are what? Fle- fleeing the cities. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a number of things and we're even seeing it in the news. So this isn't just, uh, you know, a supposition. This is actually, we're seeing it in major news sources talking about people leaving the cities. And I think right now there's two or three main reasons that people are leaving the cities. Now there's many individual personal things. Many people just wanted to for a long time. And this is kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back and they're moving out. But the two main things that are taking place, obviously, are it all started with the pandemic. As the pandemic hit, you saw that people who were trapped in places like New York City or major cities of of the planet, not only the United States, but around the world, it's very restrictive to live in these places. Not only that, when it comes to pandemics, pandemics hit largely the large cities. Now, yes, it moves into rural areas, but but it took a long time for that. And it's much easier if if it were a worse pandemic than it has been. Uh, the you know country areas are the best place to be. So that's one thing. There's there's such a freedom as it was going on. And people in certain parts of the world, like England, weren't even allowed to go out for a time in their backyard. I mean, out here we are free. I can walk out the backyard and walk into the national forest. Nobody's out there. It just, I felt totally free, even though restrictions were coming around. So there's something about freedom in the country that uh, there's a lot to be had in the cities, but there's just not the freedom. So freedom loving people really enjoy moving out into the country because there's a, a, a level of independence that they have there. Also the governments typically in the country, depending on what state you're in, are typically less restrictive. So there's that freedom also there. And that was the first thing. And then the riots started. And once you had the riots and then you just had it kind of uh, escalating and the difficulties there in the cities, once those two things together came together, it made really made a perfect storm where people just wanted to move out. And so we've seen that, whereas historically, uh, you, you had these sales boom of houses in the cities or in the suburbs, people have been moving out of the cities. Some just move from like, you know, Manhattan to maybe some suburb, but other people are actually moving from cities all the way out into the country. And what's amazing is places, seriously, seriously rural areas, not not just right outside cities, it's properties are going like this everywhere, even in the country, which I've never seen this. I've been looking at land for probably, I don't know, 15 or more years. And I've never seen it like this, where hmm. if even a halfway decent house comes on the market in the country, bam, they, they are just bought out like very rapidly. Yeah, that's what I've heard is that is that property prices are really increasing right now. So it's something you can really yeah. measure with the data. Yeah, I think yes. I think you're right about 
what's happened recently is definitely influencing people going out. And you saw, we saw what happened with the McCloskeys. Uh, their city wasn't really there to protect them. The riots um, made a lot of these cities really unsafe. The defund the police movement, things like that. I've heard murder rates are just skyrocketing in some of these places like Seattle. Yeah, and, and the whole defund the police thing, very few people of any ethnicity are actually pro defunding the police. Very few people because they realize if you do that, cities will become simply less safe at that point. It's just a simple fact. We're already seeing it. We're seeing that around the nation as they have been doing this. They're already having to start adding back funds into the cities as the murder rate goes up, as the crime rate goes up. And so it's just, I mean, they're seeing obviously uh, you know, nobody's for corrupt police, but at the same time, you need people to run a system properly or yeah. else, I mean, who's, who's going to come if you, if you get hurt or if somebody's coming after you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, Chad, let's say you're able to move to the, the country. Uh, how would you advise Adventists making a living out there? You know, there's there's a number of options. There's the standard options that people could do almost anywhere. One of uh, one of the main things that people can do almost anywhere is medical work. So people who are in any line of medical work, whether nurses, doctors, dentists, or even people who are in like a paramedic, that's another option. First responder type people. Those are things you can do anywhere. And not only that, when it comes to the medical work, it's actually often so typically in the country, you have a lower uh, what do we say? It doesn't cost as much. The cost of living is lower in the country than it is in the city. Often they will actually pay people in the medical field more to work in the country because there's fewer people who are willing to do it. So you get the best of both worlds. If you're in the medical field, you'll actually make a better living and you things won't cost as much. So other than maybe gas prices costing more, not more necessarily, but you have to drive more. Uh, it's just, it's, it's a great option there. So that's one medical work, but you could do that, you know, anywhere. Uh, there are a number of options that are the less commonly thought of things. One of the things that is a great option, if you can't find anything is typically, and I I'm guessing all States have townships, at, at least the way it is in, in Michigan townships are basically these just rectangular areas of land. And it's just, you know, there's every every piece of ground is in a township. And so you have tons of little townships and the townships are run by people who get elected to the board of the township. And those positions in small townships in the country, sometimes they can't even find somebody to take the job. And so there's nobody to even do the job. So you literally can work for a government job and government jobs are typically pretty uh, stable. <laughs> you know, it's kind of a good way to make a living often so that that's a that's a you can you can run for like the town the not even town the like clerk or something or the person they pay the yeah. we have to we literally yeah. drive to the house of the person that we pray pay yeah. our taxes for our township you can literally just drive over to our house and drop it off you don't have to do it that way they have they have a building too you could go to the building but she said it's mildewy and so she doesn't do that but i'm getting way off subject so that that's an option some of the other options are uh, for for people who maybe aren't into the education uh, route, there are all kinds of uh, labor things uh, like construction, carpentry, uh, doing heavy machinery work. Uh, another option is learning to apprentice, you know, in arbor being an arborist or on top of being that, you know, being an arborist. I, I shared it on one of the videos on YouTube. 
actually, I learned about it when I was there at Weimar. We were making a documentary called Ancient Health at the time. And we lived in a motorhome for four years. And while we were there, we saw a guy coming. And in places like Weimar and all over California and all over much of the warmer areas of the world, you'll have these mm-hmm. RV parks where people will park an RV and leave it there. They don't, they may not travel around with it. They literally leave it in an RV park year round, but it, it'll slowly get moss on it. And I don't know if lichen grows, but kind of moldy stuff growing grow on the outside of it. Mm-hmm. And so there's this guy there and who came to Weimar and he would literally bring maybe rags with some, uh, I don't know if it was the, uh, orange, orange peel where they have the the oil or whatever it is that you clean stuff with. And he would literally just clean the outside of a motorhome and take him about four hours and it looks spick and span afterward, but he charged $400 for four hours oh, of yeah. work. And right, right. I'm guessing it hardly cost him 10 to $20 to do that work. So he was pocketing like 380 bucks in four hours. And then he went on and does another one. So the guy's making you know, $750 a day doing something like this. There are so many options of things people can do. Another thing I found there while I was at Weimar, my jacks on our, our my wife and I, our, we had a motorhome and <laughs> the jacks on it got stuck down. So we couldn't leave if we wanted to. And so we called up a mobile RV repair guy who was in the area there. And he told us, he said, <clears throat> I'm trying to sell the business. You know, I'm getting older. He had cancer too at the time and we prayed with him, but he said that he was trying to find an apprentice that could take over the business. And it was a a successful business that somebody easily could have taken over. And it was a job that could be done in the country as well as the city. And so you could even drive into town if you needed to do it, that's fine to do some work. But he was making probably a significant amount of money, but he couldn't find anybody to do it. And this is the problem. If, If you want to move to the country and you're not willing to work, well, it's probably yeah. not going to work so well. But if you're someone who is able-bodied, willing to work, and even if you're not that able-bodied, mm-hmm. the great thing is if you are able-bodied, you could get a job like this one, like this guy <laughs> had. You could apprentice under him. You wouldn't need to know anything. You just, he'll teach you how to do it all. But the other option is there are jobs where people who don't aren't so able-bodied can do things. Like right now, there are ridiculous amounts of jobs that you can do completely online. So, you know, if... I mean, often people say, I can't work, you know, I got back trouble, but if they can sit and watch TV all day, they could probably sit and work on a computer too. And so there are ways to find mm-hmm. a job that it can, can work with your health or your lifestyle or whatever it is. There's so many, so many mm-hmm. different things out there. And there's there. one that, uh, uh, you haven't touched on, but you did touch on in the video was uh, market gardening. Everybody mm-hmm. talks about that. Yes. Yeah, I think market gardening is an awesome, awesome opportunity. I'm glad you brought it up. When it comes to market gardening. And what is market gardening for people that don't know? Like market gardening, that's like a term maybe not everybody knows. Uh, Could you define that one? Yeah, for sure. So one of the, basically to contrast, it kind of helps understand what it is. Mm -hmm. So historically, when you thought of farming, The average farm in the United States today is 444 acres. And it makes on average right about negative $1,500 a year. Now that's really because (laughs) that's what the government statistics are. And so it's right about there. Uh And that's really, it's probably not totally true. They're probably just about breaking even. And most small farmers, like a 400 acre farm is actually a small farm. And most small farmers are 
they have a second job. Oh. So they, they maybe go do some work on the side and then they do the agriculture as a side job. Now they become multimillionaires because when they sell that 400 acres, when they retire, mm. they'll be, they'll be a millionaire, even though they didn't make any money on it during the time. They're probably a millionaire, even if just by the cost of ground that they have. But many young people look into that and they're like, I can't, I don't have a million dollars to go buy some, you know, hundreds of acres. I just don't have millions. And so that's not an option for most people. Normally you almost kind of have to be, you know, your dad's got to be a farmer to get into that. Whereas market gardening is basically having a small piece of ground. It can be as small as like a third of an acre, half an acre, or it's pretty common these days to be about an acre to an acre and a half. Hmm. And to be honest with you, most Americans with a normal job, and when I say normal, I'm talking above a minimum wage job, but a standard paying job, if they worked hard enough and if it was their desire, they could purchase a couple acres of land, mm. two acres. Now, obviously in the city, that could be a ridiculous amount, but we're talking way out in the country, a couple acres is typically not going to be all that expensive. I mean, there's probably areas where you could get a couple acres for 10 or $20,000, $30,000, which, mm. I mean, that's the price of, you know, a car. And so it's not an exorbitant cost. And there are people now don't expect to make this kind of money, uh, but especially right away. But there, there's a guy named Jean Martin oh, up in Canada. Jean Martin Fortier, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. He he makes. I, I don't remember. I mean, this is this is a few years ago that I looked at his. But I think he was making hundred hundred fifty thousand dollars per acre. Wow. You have the Dysingers mm -hmm. down in Tennessee. They're also making, I think, around a hundred. Now grossing a hundred. I think they are making fifty, sixty thousand netting per acre. Mm -hmm. But even that, yeah. that is a that's a good that's per acre. And I think they might do an acre and a half if I remember correctly. So they're making more than that. Yeah. And I was I was thinking about those numbers and um those numbers also I, I mean that it might be more than you think because they probably don't have many food costs. Yeah. And I think they don't pay a mortgage hmm. because they own that property outright. Yeah. So there, there's a lot of costs that, you know, they don't have to pay because they're they're doing this. You're you're totally right. And 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 that's just it is that. So think about it because your highest costs in life are probably uh, your mortgage, yeah. your your food, you know, and then and then your car. And so there are, there are a few things, but those are some of the bigger things. And so. Uh, most young people probably would have to have a mortgage unless you've really saved up well, but you'd still have a mortgage, but you'd save the income on your food. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't have to any expense on your food, I should say. And you think about that, not only that, you'd be getting, you might have to buy a little bit of food, but you'd have some of the healthiest food possible. Yeah. So it's like, it'd be like buying in the, better than buying in the organic section at Whole Foods every, you know, yeah. week. <laughs> it's even better on your own property. Yeah. So, you're saving a lot of money there and you're making money on it at the same time. And then you have the, you have a lot of, when you're in business and since you're teaching business, obviously in business, you have a lot of write-offs mm -hmm. and something like that. You can write off almost everything you do. Not everything. Don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about writing off things. You shouldn't, you should do it legally, but there's going to be all kinds of things that you get to write off and life will be, even if you're not making the hundred grand a year or whatever it is, you, it, it will actually seem like you're making quite a bit of money, especially because most country people are living a relatively simple lifestyle. Anyway, they're typically not 
living yeah. high on the hog. Um, we probably don't use that term, but you get the idea. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and, and then there are people just, just quickly, there are people who, so market gardening is having these small properties where you're making specifically, and the way they do it is you don't just grow whatever you want. You typically, if you're going to make it financially, you grow what sells. And so that has to do with maybe greens, uh, certain times carrots. And there's, but greens are one of the biggest ones that these market gardeners do because there's really a market for good greens. And the good thing is, and it, it mostly, a lot of the United States, you can grow year round in the Southern half of the United States, you can have green greens. Well, some of them might not grow well in the summer, but you can grow them in the winter. And then in the North, if you have a greenhouse, you can often have uh, some of these things even year round, depending on how it works. There's there's more details on it there. But one, one more thing on that, when it comes to doing that, there are people like Jean-Martin who, who can teach you how to do these things. There's also the guy from Never Sank Farm, yeah. Connor, Connor Crickmore. Connor Crickmore, thank you. Yeah, Connor Crickmore. And now he's making ridiculous money yeah. and he's making like 380,000 yeah. on acre, <laughs> acre and a half or whatever it is. Yeah. And so you're not like you're not likely to make that kind of money. But even if you like I have a friend who who is down in southern Indiana and he's had his own he's done farming in the past, small, small scale farming, but he's making, I think he said you know, 60 grand on an acre and a half wow. or, and huh. he has more land, but you only can. And so even if you're making that and, and he has, I mean, he bought now you can't buy property this cheap. I don't remember the exact price, but I think they paid like 114,000 for a house and like 20 acres or something like that. Like, but you, wow. you can't, you can hardly find that right now. That's more yeah. expensive, but it's not hopeless even, even in these times. Yeah. Yeah, and it seems like a common theme with a lot of these people is being creative. Uh, a lot of these people have more than one way that they're making income. Like Connor Crickmore, he's got he's got tools, he's got his YouTube channel, uh, he's got the farm, of course, and like I, I think like a number of other things he's got going at the same time. Wema offers two tracks: healthcare administration and organizational management which are led by experienced professors and successful business leaders. If you long to bridge the gap between business and mission, go to www.wema.edu for more information. I was wondering, um, I don't know if you've done a video on this ever, but it might be kind of up your alley. Like what, what kind of, it seems like a, mi a mindset thing to get out to the country, you have to be, you know, willing to sort of think outside of the box and make make money in different ways, or be willing to maybe go beneath your education level sometimes. And I don't know. It seems like, do you think that that's a big factor, mindset, and the way that the education system is sort of set up to make you a college professor, you know, these days? Yeah, I I, I think it. In part, the standard educational system in America is to create unified people with the exact same mindset who never think contrary to what they're taught in school. Right. And this yeah. is the, this is the standard way of thinking. And so, and to be honest, typically you can make more money in the cities. I mean, that is that is in general true or generally true, uh, but typically people in the country are more independent minded. Now that may, may be that they were, in, so many of them were probably independent minded in the city, 
And so they wanted the freedom of the country and, or they just grew up in the country. And so, but many country young people are looking to get into the city. So you have just the opposite, obviously (laughs) tons of young people in the country. They want to go to the city because the excitement, the money and all those things. But there's something about having that independent and if we don't like I, I shared this i think i shared it on a video early on and on health and homestead on our youtube channel they did a survey i think it was a barna survey if i remember correctly where they asked young people in the city and young people in the country the very same question it was really a true and false statement do you agree with this and the question was basically this or the statement was basically this do you agree with this statement if what i believe offends somebody else then what I believe is wrong, true or false. And young people in the city are seven times more likely to say, I agree with that statement, which that statement is patently wrong. It's not a, it's not a question of, I mean, it's a factually wrong. So if I believe something that offends somebody else, what I believe is wrong, you couldn't believe anything because think about it. An atheist might offend a Christian. So then the atheist would have to give up his atheism. The Christian might offend the atheist. Therefore, the Christian would have to give up his. Now, somebody who yeah. believes that math two plus two is four and somebody else is offended, then right. we would have to give up math. The point is you yeah. can't believe anything factually to believe that because once again, being in the city, we're being drilled with a, a mindset that you must accept this belief system. Whatever the new system that comes out over the news or on social media, you have to believe it. And we're kind of being pigeonholed into this mentality through largely social media and the media in general and the educational system for that matter. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's sad thinking about that. And, you know, the same thing's happening with speech and hate speech. Uh, now speech can be violent apparently yeah you can actually like hurt somebody i guess with your like violently hurt someone with your speech it's kind of ridiculous so um, So obviously obviously threats are one thing right but disagreeing with someone or disagreeing with the way someone thinks is not i mean i mean unless you're threatening you know obviously nobody's for you know thinking it's okay to threaten people but simply well it's it right but it's not those kind of things that are being that are considered violent speech anymore it's like you know i believe that you should not, uh, you know, do an abortion. And that's yeah. like violence against women now, like literal violence. It's, it's kind of like getting to that point these days. Yeah. So I had a, I had a, another question for you. Um, you had a video about the 10 cheapest places to live, but I wonder if I could uh, kind of rephrase the question and where, where would you think the best places to live? Cause there's so many things to consider. Um, there's, there's obviously cost, but then there's also like state politics, taxes, um, how, you know, how are you yeah. going to make a living, things like that. So w- would you do your list any any differently? Like maybe give like top two or three states that are like the best? You, yeah. You so first of all, I shared the top 10 cheapest, but I don't think those are gen- all of them are the best places to live. They're just cheap. <laughs> there are some just- places in there that I didn't want to live. That's for yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. And I, I would, I wouldn't either. And so, uh, and and my point in sharing it isn't to say that's where you should live. So, okay, to answer the question of what are some of what I would consider the best, and here's the thing: this is just my personal opinion. I've been to 49 of the 50 states. I haven't been to Alaska. Alaska okay. is a be- beautiful state. It's the most dangerous state to live in. It has the most really? crime of any state 
Um, I think like, huh. which is crazy. You would never imagine that to be the case, but it is, it's actually quite huh. dangerous, but uh, oh, I was going to think it was the bears or something, <laughs> but it's yeah. not. <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> it's not, not dangerous that. in that sense. It's actually crime. It's oh, like okay. the most, yeah, it's, it, there's a lot of crime. Uh, it could be a lot of depression. I don't know what all the factors. I know there's a lot of gang stuff uh, in the city of Anchorage because we've had friends who live there and a uh, friend, you know, he was, they were in gang shootouts and stuff right in the city there. So, but that that's beside the point. Uh, but still, you could be in, you know, safe areas of Alaska too. So I'm not, but I've never been there personally. So I won't, I won't put any, uh, you know, I, I think it's a, looks like an amazing state, but obviously it's cold you'd have to learn to work with that but as far as my personal favorites uh, in in the united states this doesn't mean anybody should do it but i when when you look at the the united states you have a few places that really i think stick out in the west my personal opinion and a lot of other people's because they're just getting flooded with people right now is idaho is one of the probably freest and most beautiful, good for agriculture. Uh, historically, you had a lot of independent minded people there. That's changing as people do come from other states because <laughs> as people come from other states, they bring their ideas. They try to get away from the state that they came from, but then they <laughs> bring those ideas with them and then it changes yeah. the mentality of the people there. And so, <laughs> so but as, as of now, I would still say if you're in the West, in my estimation, Idaho is one of the one of the nicest places for freedom. There are really nice places down in New Mexico. Uh, you know, New Mexico is the second most dangerous state, though, as far as when it comes to crime. But it is it is beautiful in the mountains. I love the mountains, yeah. of New Mexico. So um, I watched your video, and you said you really liked living in New Mexico. Oh, I love it there. It's just a huh. it's a, it's a great place. Other than you know some of the some of the dangerous areas, but. You know, you get far enough out. Most places are going to be relatively safe in the in, in the deep country. But so those are some of the Western places. You know, Colorado's beautiful, super expensive now, very very expensive. Uh, my favorite place, one of my favorite places, is the Black Hills of South Dakota. It is am really? amazing there. Just gorgeous. Wow. Uh, but it's also become very expensive because people are fleeing from the expenses of Colorado up into the Black Hills of South Dakota. And I, if there was one place in the world I'd want to live, it would be there. And I have lived there in the past. It's just, it's incredible. The difficulty there in some of the mountain regions is things like hail and rough weather. They can get a lot of hail that can damage your crops. That can be trouble there. Right. Yeah. Um, but South, like not the whole state of South Dakota. I mean, you could, South Dakota, North Dakota, most of them are just, prairies some people love it there's no trees in most of it now in the black hills you got the ponderosa pines it's beautiful but north dakota south dakota most of it is just prairies and but you can grow food and things like that and much of it but uh not the most beautiful beauty there but if yeah. you look more toward the east uh some of the place tennessee is nice tennessee is a nice area there's they still have more freedom today than some other areas the Carolinas are nice also. The Carolinas, Tennessee are some of the nicer areas. And then if you if you want to get really rural, historically it was a bit cheaper, but that's going up too, is if you can handle the colder weather, Maine. Maine could be a nice place. Or Vermont or New Hampshire. Those those are those are some Maine would be cheaper than Vermont and New Hampshire. Vermont and New Hampshire are probably getting they're probably quite expensive. But Maine, Maine you could find 
I mean, it's it's been a couple of years ago, so you can't go by the. But I, I remember just looking back like a couple of years ago, and you could find like a hundred acres with a. I mean, it'd be totally a, a house you'd have to redo, but for probably like one hundred twenty thousand dollars, hundred acres with a wow. little old house that you wow. need to totally redo. But it was ridiculous. But you can't find that right now. It's everything's gone up. Oh man! So wow. those, those are some of the nicer areas. I may be missing one or two. If you want to go really cheap. Um, Arkansas, Missouri, those two areas are those yeah. are those are real cheap options where you can get rural, and um, yeah, those those are some options. Yeah, yeah. Arkansas is not bad. I, yeah. I, I lived there for a couple of years. Yes, <laughs> that's where yeah. that's actually where we met. At, yes, uh, yeah, yeah. In Arkansas, Washington Hills. Yeah, and uh, I wanted to ask you a question about um, some of the best books you've read recently. Uh, what what are some what are some of the things that because I like to read a lot and what are what are some of the things that you would say you know just you just got to read this book if you're gonna go out to the country some of the most helpful books to you? Good question. Some of the as far as as far as agriculture goes in the country. So there's there's different there's different things to consider when moving to the country. There's just all the practical things. And there are some books on kind of the practical work of country living. And then one of the biggest things to me is food, growing your own food. And and the best book, number one, that I would say that I have read is by a man by the name of Will Bonsall, B-O-N-S-A-L-L, I believe. And he wrote a book called something like Radical Self-Reliant Gardening or Agriculture. Do I have it right here? Let me see. Uh, <laughs> see no i don't I, I, it's not around me right now but it but basically there's i think he, he only has a couple books but it's um yeah that's one yeah. of them what was the title again radical it's like radical, radical self-reliant self let me see if i, I might even be able to find it real quick i'm trying to write that down so we can we'll have to put that in the description of our podcast so that people can take a look at it yeah here it is. So it's called um, Will Bonzal's Essential Guide to Radical Self-Reliant Gardening. So Will oh. Bonzal's Essential Guide to Radical Self-Reliant Gardening. And the reason why this book, this guy has been a vegan for like, I don't know, probably 50 years or something like that. He grows his own food. He's he's an atheist. Uh, but it's interesting. He He talks about Ellen White in his book. <laughs> and uh, very interesting. And, and he says he must have had a friend that was that shared something about Ellen White. And he he shares about it. he said, yeah, and what she said to me, like, really rang true to me. And so he, uh, you know, it just just kind of an interesting point about him. But so it's not coming from a Christian perspective, but he has done the reason why he went into basically growing his own food. He well, he's not a much of a market gardener. He sells a little bit, but hardly any. He said, I, I had to grow my own food because I was too poor to do anything else. And <laughs> yeah, it's expensive if you go into Whole Foods or something. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so he, he literally just had to grow his own food. And, and he, he tells you about foods that you've never heard of, you've never thought of growing. And he makes these foods, some of them kind of are staples. And he shares with you all kinds of techniques and ideas. And basically, he does it. Most people, like if you're going to be a market gardener, you're more of what I would call to be to a degree, you're a consumer farmer. And what I mean is being a market gardener, you can't 
get all the nutrition for your soil from your own property typically you're going to bring an outside source and that's okay if because you're making a living off of it it's not a problem but if you were truly trying to grow your own food bonzal's approach is really kind of the best way to go because mm. you're you're actually using the own mostly only the resources on your own property and so that's that's an option when it's when you are looking for self-reliance as much as possible that his his approach is one of the best that's one of them there's another book by a woman by the name of carol uh deppie d-e-p-p-e and her uh, her book is called the resilient gardener resilient gardener food production and self-reliance in uncertain times and in her book it's it's not a now bonzal tells you about every kind of plant you could think of to grow in the colder regions of the world because Bonzal's way up in Maine. And uh, I think she's up in Washington or Oregon, Carol Deppy, if I remember correctly. And she, in her book though, she's literally talking about five different things, only five different things. So she has potatoes, corn, beans, squash, and eggs, but I'm, I'm not so interested in the egg part, but, uh, but the rest of the book to me is phenomenal. She gives such detail on how to grow potatoes, which I think potatoes, if you can eat potatoes, potatoes are one of the most important foods for to make a staple food if you are trying to grow your own food. Because number one, they grow a ton of calories per acre and they typically store well. You can often store them all winter long in a cold storage room. If you have an underground, you know, uh, root cellar, you can have that and with that you can keep your potatoes all winter long and then also the corn corn is something that is very storable it dries right on the plant it's very calorie dense so you grow a lot of calories per acre with it so that's an mm -hmm. option and beans are just a good thing to eat with your grains so the beans right. are a great option and then squash there are squash like the hopi pale gray squash that you can that can last one to two years. So you plant the thing, you, you get, I got, wow. I got some, I'll, I'll show you. Uh, this is, <laughs> Getting one right now, huh? Yeah, here's one, here's one, here's one right now. Uh, oh, it kind of looks like a football. This, this is the whole, yeah, this one, like the football shape. And <laughs> they, they get some of them bigger, some of them smaller, but this, this is from last fall. And this potentially could last not only to the next end of the growing season, this coming fall, it may make it, to the next fall. So even wow. if you had even if you had a bad year, something like this, it's just it you don't have the great thing with this is there's no processing. You basically just yeah. cut it off the plant, sit it it's just sitting in the in in the room and <laughs> itself. So that's that's just a great way to have food that you don't have to work as hard on. You got you got to grow it and that is work, but once it's done, there's not a lot of processing. You can just cook it. Huh. And I, you know, I've been curious. I didn't know that you were actually doing this yourself. So how has it been going for you um, now that you're out there? Oh, we, we love it. We love it. It's uh, so partly I have not the best soil. And so mm. that's one of the best things you want to. So basically, you can't tell just by looking at soil if it's good. But what we did is I just dug down with my hand when I got here and I maybe dug down an inch or more. We looked at the soil and we said, wow, it looks all right. And, <laughs> but what we didn't know is just a couple inches under it was like beach sand. So just like oh. sand, sand, <laughs> sand. So oh, no. you get it and you're like, oh no. But <laughs> I, so 
but at the same time, you work with what you got. So I have maybe six, uh, five or six compost piles that I have working uh, out there. And you just work with what you got. Now, I wouldn't, mm -hmm. I'd be happy to move and find a place with better soil at some point, but I'm working with what we've got. We have been able to grow stuff. It hasn't gotten like these things could, these could be much bigger if, if they were grown on better soil. But either way, I realize, and that's another thing is that people don't realize when they move to the country. I think people are thinking kind of like they have the lot mentality. I'll stay here until angels yank me out of the city, you know, but mm. people don't realize the unbelievable amount of effort that goes into it. So I have planted, I don't know, maybe 20 fruit trees or whatever. And I started planting them three years ago. And so far out of my fruit trees, I've gotten one apple. And oh, no. the point is, it's not because there's anything wrong with it. It's because it takes time when you do these things. If hmm. the, the idea, unless you're rich. Now, if you have a, if you have many hundreds of thousands of dollars to spare, you got half a million or a million, you might be able to just go buy something that's already producing and it's good to go. Or the Lord just opens the door for you to find that. But I brought, I bought, we bought, my wife and I bought raw land. And so we had to fell trees and then plant wow. things on it. And so when you buy a fruit tree, uh, it can take on average, it's like three to five years before you really start bearing on them. And uh -huh. so, you know, I might get a few more this year, but I still probably won't get a ton of fruit on my apple trees or my, uh, what do I have some pear up plum trees and these kind of things out there. So it just takes time. So it has, it's a, it's a slow growth and I, you know, I have tons of work to do to keep going, but it's very fulfilling. I can say that we, we love it. It's just been a great experience for us. So you yeah. And that's really interesting buying raw land. Have you managed to build a house or are you, yes. what are you yep. doing? Yep. We oh, have, really? we, we have a house that was built here and the, so there's uh, speaking to that, which is a good question. There's options in the country. There's mobile homes, there's regular house, there's the tiny house movement. Talking on the tiny house movement, most of the areas of the country, it's not legal to own a tiny house. So that's that is out for most areas. So there it's are not legal to own one. And you can own legal. one, but you can't legally in many areas actually use it. Now, if you live far wow. enough out, you can huh. hide it and not let them know. But if you get caught, they could find you because now in certain situations you could do it, but like here in, in Michigan, it's they're relatively stringent. Like you can only have a a motor home or an RV, and these would be considered RVs a lot of the time, like two weeks on a property in a summer or something like that. And you need, there's restrictions. And it's like that in a lot of the country. And most areas of the country have minimum size requirements. Like where I am, the minimum house size is like 1100 square feet. They won't let you go any smaller. It's because they're trying to get rid of people having single wide mobile homes. So mm. we built just bigger than that as far as our finished area of the house. And we did actually build because in the long run, it just didn't at, at the time we did it, which I don't think it would be true now, but at the time we did it, it didn't seem like it would be much more expensive for us to buy roughly 20 acres of land and build a house than it would be to buy 10 acres with a mobile home. So we thought, well, this is a better route and it worked out on our timing. But today, uh, I think a mobile home would be a cheaper route to go if someone's looking to be inexpensive. The tiny house option, there are places like in Michigan, there's a there's a place called Atlanta, Michigan, which is Atlanta's like 
way up here uh, in the lower peninsula. And they do allow minimum 200 square feet. So I know some of them are like 100 square feet, but 200 square feet, it'd be more reasonable anyway than 100 square feet. That's like, you know, tiny, <laughs> tiny, tiny. But closet, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's ridiculously small. But nevertheless, the point is, that's an option. People, oh, historically, you've heard, oh, don't, you know, mobile homes, they just lose value. I don't think I, I, that may have, that may be true in a mobile home park, but when it comes to in the country, you can hardly find like a mobile home on a bit of acreage for 200 grand. It's, they are going up. Oh. Everything is going up. So I'm oh. not, I, for oh. most people, I mean, I'm not the judge of what you should do, but that, that, that seems to me to be an old idea that mobile homes go down in price. I don't think oh, okay. if they're put on land, I don't think, and you keep it up. I don't think they're going to go down in price in general. They might somewhere, but I'm not huh. seeing that often. So, huh. but we will. Cool. Nice. So, Chad, my last question to you is: uh, What would you what would you tell Adventist, uh, an Adventist person who's thinking about doing this, um, but they don't really know how to start? What would what would be your advice to them? Great question. You know, first of all, be praying about it. Number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, if you haven't read the book Country Living, and to call it a book is uh, a little much. It's really a like a pamphlet almost. It's 32 pages long, so you could read the thing in an afternoon. You know, you could sit home after church one day and read the whole thing, or you could read a couple pages a day, and in a couple weeks you'd be done with it. So it's a really short book, but it is it is. To me, it's stirring. It literally is, stirs my soul reading that book, reading the quotes of what we were meant to do. And we were meant to do it, in my estimation, uh, of reading these quotes a long time ago. Now, there, we're told that a few people will, uh, if you're doing a great work for God in the cities and you're seeing people one to the kingdom through, you know, the, you're sharing the gospel in the cities, hey, if God's using you in a powerful way that way, then he may use you there for a time. But we're told that in general, that our work is to be done from outposts, not by God's people living in the cities, but by those people living in the country. And people, they're one of the greatest arguments you hear is not even great. It's, uh, well, who's going to win people in the cities? Um, the people who live in the country. You know? I, mean, <laughs> I, uh, they, I mean, we go, we go in I, and we do evangelistic work in the cities. I'll be going and doing one in a uh, week and a half or two weeks or something from now. And, and so... The point is not hide in the country and never go into the city, but to still go, but to be out and hopefully by the grace of God, your own heart will be changed. You'll draw closer to God and go share with people. But back to the point, number one, I would pray. Number two, I would read some of the, that book there, Country Living. It's very, very powerful. And there's other books that might be, if you've read that and you'd like to read more, Reading Councils on Agriculture, John Dysinger put a uh, compilation made a compilation of quotes into maybe a hundred page book. It's a, I've read that book. It's a great book, very well done. I mean, it's just compilation, but very good material. It's another thing that stirs my soul. So reading these things is a great place to start just to allow kind of the Holy spirit to be working on the soil of your own heart and then being open. Cause there are a number of options. People say, well, should I, rent in the country? Should I buy? I don't have enough money to buy right away. And that's okay. I mean, if you have to rent in the city or you rent in the country, you're renting either way. 
Um, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. It can be a perfect place to start. And there may be places to rent in the country that you could go out. And sometimes that may be even a better opportunity to rent, in the, or at least initially, I should say, because obviously most people would love to end up having something that they own themselves. But doing it temporarily could help you avoid big mistakes because people contact me. I just had someone contacting me if they bought five acres of land or whatever, and it's it's in a flood zone and they didn't realize that. And so sometimes it's if you're going to go out getting knowing the lay of the land, finding out how things are, learning the area, finding if you click well with people in the area, because I'm going to be honest, there are racist parts of rural areas. And there are areas that are less racist. So if that's an issue for you, that's something to consider if you want. And I say that because people have written to me also. They say, yes, that could be a nice place to live. But they'll say, but there's too many racist people over there and I can't be there. It wouldn't be safe for me. And I recognize I say, yeah, you're probably right. Then you could consider some of these other areas out there. And there are areas. So don't give up just because of the difficulties, but allow God to lead. You could go for a time. One more quick thing. Another option for young people, because I know you're, you're, you have students, is doing something like apprenticeship on a farm. Like, for instance, the Dysingers have people where you would get to see a successful, godly place where you have godly leadership, wonderful people. They're just saints. And uh, going there, seeing how they do it, it would teach you, oh, this is how you would run something like this. And you could probably replicate it. You go work with them for a year or two, and you might think, man, that's a long time. But really, it may save you years and years of mistakes and failure by going with someone who's successful at it rather than just trying to go it alone. Some people will be able to go it alone. You could watch, you could pay like two grand and watch Connor Crickmore's series, and he'll show you how to do it. And that would probably be money well spent. But you could also go work with somebody, and doing hands-on work is even a whole nother level of of so that's an option for young people and don't give up it took us probably i I mean it took probably 17 years till we finally found our property it took a long time and and so just because you don't see it initially doesn't mean god won't open the door at some point chad thank you so much for taking the time to do this god bless you and we really appreciate it thank you for joining us on today's podcast We would like to thank today's guests for sharing their story, as well as our team of business students who made this podcast a reality. I am Gabriel Harrison, and I'll see you next time for another adventure.